everyone, I'm Nicole from Wild for Change, and you're listening to AAA Radio. Today, I'm speaking with the hosts of Vigil for Elephants. Our first guest is Barbara Lovett. Barbara is the founder and president of Save Nosy Now, Inc., an organization devoted to removing captive elephants from circuses and zoos and transferring them to sanctuary. She has been successful in working with individuals and groups to this end. Our second guest is Courtney Scott. Courtney is the founder and president of the nonprofit Free the Oregon Zoo Elephants. She, along with a group of like-minded advocates, is working to free the Oregon Zoo Elephants, starting with the lone Borneo elephant, Chandra, to sanctuary. And our third guest is Sandra Klinger. Sandra Klinger is the president of the Elephant Advocacy Project and a board member of Save Nosy Now. The Elephant Advocacy Project's mission is to pursue the retirement of captive elephants to true sanctuaries, to educate the public and raise awareness about the abuse and exploitation of captive elephants, as well as the devastating impact captivity has on elephants' minds and bodies. Sandra's professional career was spent working on conservation of imperiled wildlife, and her expertise in local, state, and federal regulations has allowed her to pursue new, previously untapped advocacy opportunities for captive elephants, like what was used to help get Nosy to sanctuary. This group of dedicated souls have been coming together since 2020 to honor and mourn the captive elephants whose lives were lost each year, whether it be in a zoo, circus, forced labor, or other tourist attraction. These elephants who endured living a life held captive and exploited, whether it was a short or long life, had their freedom and rights to live wild taken away. Some of these sentient beings were traumatically separated from their family. No longer were they to live a life in the wild as intended, but a life in servitude to humans who exploited each elephant until the end. I'd like to begin this segment with a quote by John Feldman. Quote, I believe animals should be respected as citizens of this earth. They should have the right to their own freedom, their own families, and their own life, end quote. This quote couldn't be more fitting for speaking out for captive elephants, as they are sentient beings just like us. A very warm welcome to Barbara, Courtney, and Sandra. Thank you three for being here today. Thanks for having us, Nicole. And thank you for being here. We very much appreciate the opportunity to, to spread the word about uh, captive elephants and what they endure in captivity. Yes, and I'm I'm looking forward to having this conversation with the three of you because I believe this is um, so important to help end captivity of elephants because they are such, as we all know, sentient beings that um, have deep feelings and emotions and, and need to be with their family in the wild. So what was the impetus for creating Vigil for Elephants? Well, the Vigil for Elephants started actually in Los Angeles with a vigil for Rhonda the rhinoceros who had died and was euthanized that year in 2017. Um, Elephant Guardians of Los Angeles, who was one of the founding members of the Vigil for Elephants, they held a vigil in front of the zoo and also memorialized other elephants who died in the zoo, including all the elephants over the years. It was picked up by a lot of us elephant organizations because we thought how fitting it was to memorialize these elephants and um, all, all animals that die in circuses and zoos. 
and became the International Candlelight Vigil for Elephants that was first held in 2019, in which we looked at all of the animals, elephants that had died in 2018, and then held the vigil in January. And we've had this annually since then. At that time, live vigils were organized at different locations. A lot of different people around the world were holding live vigils in front of zoos, um, in their own homes, in their communities. And we had them send in various um, video that they had taken and pictures. Um, when COVID hit, of course, the vigil was moved to an online platform, which is called the Action Hour on Unchained News with Jane Velez Mitchell. Um, and we do it every year. Again, uh, it becomes uh, sometime in the, at the first couple of weeks of January when we commemorate all the elephants that have died the previous year. And today, people from all over the world tune in for this online vigil. They organize their own live vigils sometimes and, and or they simply burn a candle in their own homes to grieve and honor and remember all the lives that are needlessly lost to captivity. What a beautiful commemoration. How I many, think so. I, I, I mean, it's, it's endearing. And um, just the fact that somebody is remembering these elephants when they probably lived a life where they thought no one cared for them. Uh, this is truly very special. Yes. How many elephants have died in captivity in 2022? Well, we've had uh, various um, categories of elephants that we've looked at. We've looked at sanctuary elephants, those that have been lucky enough to make it there. We've looked at circus and zoos. We've looked at elephants in the wild. And we've also looked at festival and ca camp elephants in Asia. There are a lot of them. Um, we had 16 festival and camp elephants that we know of die this year. 29 in the wild that we're aware of that were actually being seen by the, uh, the larger groups in Africa and Asia. 48 circus and zoo elephants as of today and 10 in sanctuary. It's, you know, <laughs> one too many. It's very unfortunate. Yep. How do you gather all that information from different sources to know exactly that how many elephants were deceased? You want to take that, Sandra? Um, well, uh, we started really just looking at North America and looking at circuses and zoo elephants. And one of the reasons why, um, as Barbara said, we started the vigil was we were seeing these pop up in press reports and news reports, but nobody seemed to be quantifying the number. Like we would see it over and over and over and we're thinking, you know, how many are we really losing? And what are the causes? And so we started gathering it and, and slowly over the last several years, it has just grown and grown and grown to parts of the world that often were, were we just didn't have any information. In fact, just today, we got news of six more elephants that had died in 2020 that we didn't know about, uh, at least four of which were in China. So there's, oh. very, there's advocates from China actually now reaching out to us to be part of the vigil <laughs> and provide us information of elephants that we would never have even known. Um, and some of these were some of the wild caught babies uh, from Zimbabwe, you know, have been transferred. Uh, one was from the 2012 transfers. Um, 
So it, it's really incredible that we're now getting information from parts of the world that we would never have had access to the information before, all because the word is getting out and advocates are um, gathering this information now and sharing it and wanting to be part of this visual and really wanting to participate and draw attention to the lives of these elephants as more than just curiosities, as more than just things put for our entertainment. They have a value that goes so much beyond that. Um, they're sentient beings. They express empathy to other species. They grieve their dead. They have very rich, deep emotional bonds with their families. The, the, they, the females stay with their family group their whole lives. And all of this is robbed from them in captivity on top of their freedom of movement, natural, everything natural <laughs> that comes to them about being an elephant, how frequently they get to eat, how far they get to move. Do they even have another individual of their own species they can speak to in their own language? They're often are kept alone, which is the worst form of torture for a species that is as um, socially evolved as elephants are. So luckily, we're just, we're hoping that through the vigil and honoring the lives of these elephants, who really, it's too late for us to help now. They've only found freedom through death for most of them, the ones that didn't make it to sanctuary. But there are so many more still in captivity that could have a different ending, that could have a chance for a life with autonomy um, in a true sanctuary and, and to have a kinder experience to have humans view them with a kinder eye and a kinder hand and how we deal with them and how we honor them and how we respect them as the sentient beings they are. Yes. Yes. That's, it's, it's heartbreaking to, to know that, you know, that especially that some of them are living solitary lives when they are in the wild meant to be with their family and be social. They're very social and it's, it's well, so it, depressing it to be, understand that. Even, even when they do have other individuals, sometimes they're held with other individuals, but the nature of captivity being so such small spaces, these are unrelated adult elephants that are often put in together. And the stress alone of their confinement can cause conflict. And imagine being trapped in a small space with another large individual that you may not get along with. Uh, it's just stress on, on top of stress that's just compounded in their daily lives on top of physical discomfort from standing on hard surfaces, ulcers and colic and other gastric issues from not being able to eat the 18 to 20 hours a day they should be eating. Um, all of these things just compound upon each other. And then you add on top of that forced breedings. You add on top of that children being taken away or children dying, the added trauma and grief of the mothers losing their babies or having their babies sent off to another zoo. So it's just, um, it's, there's so many layers of um, injustice we do to elephants by holding them in captivity. Oh, uh, and certain. it's time more people were aware of this and um, not go to the zoo and say, oh, look how cute, or see these posts of a new baby born without the understanding of what this really means. It, yeah, it's an adorable baby, but what is its life gonna be? How long will it even live? Will it be weeks, months, 
65% of captive born babies will die before the year eight, age eight. So that's, that's really pathetic statistics. Very sad, given that that's not even, that's maybe a quarter of their life. Right. Of their lifespan in the wild. It's, it's so, it's, it's beyond, you know, our imagination that other people can do that. Even when they can survive past age eight, their average life expectancy for Asian elephants is still about 20, which is barely making it to full adulthood. Uh, and for African elephants, it's a little bit older than that. It's a little bit better than that, but it's, it's not great. Captive born actually fare the worst, uh, elephants in captivity. So it's, it's just not a good outcome for them. No, it's not. This is, this is horrific. It's very tragic. Um, for listeners who may not be familiar with vigil for elephants, can you share how Vigil for Elephants honors the elephant lives that are lost for the year? Brittany, you want to take that? Well, from what I know, we, we post this event on Facebook, share it with people around the world. And I think like Barbara mentioned, it's been growing since it's been started so that we have people in India, China, Japan. Um, Australia, just to name a few who have responded to our event. We did used to uh, have live vigils and we had them here at the Oregon Zoo, but now mostly as was stated, we do uh, Zoom calls or vigils. Um, we hope we go on shows like this, you know, to try to, to get the word out to even more people. Um, we have a really beautiful video that I just received from one of our members, Sam. So people can tune in to whichever way is more uh, compelling to them. Sometimes people like videos better or they like, uh, you know, written statements. And I think by highlighting the biographies of all of the really tragic stories it calls to more attention to exactly how these elephants live and die. And one thing I noticed in this year, there was quite a few elderly elephants who died. And I just want to point out that not only is it very sad for the very young elephants to die, but I find it also very tragic for elephants to live for decades in captivity because not only they're suffering physically, but they're, they're emotionally stunted and spiritually stunted. And even their brains are damaged because of the lack of space and the repetitive behavior patterns. Um, Just, there's just so many ways that they continue to suffer, just like a prisoner who's never let out, right? Right. They never get parole. So I think that is equally um, a tragedy. So I think it's good that we're including all these deaths and all these stories so that people maybe will start to understand, perhaps, you know, when they go to the zoo, what are they looking at? What are they really seeing there? And help them recognize the suffering and to stop going. You know, we don't want to support these zoos. Exactly. Or if you're somewhere touristy um, and you have... 
the ability to go take a ride on an elephant, you know that that elephant was broken in order to give you that ride. Um, it shouldn't be there in the first place. What I do, yeah, what I do love about the Vigil for Elephants is every day reading about the biographies of these elephants that of their tragic life. Um, and it just, it's such an eye opener to see how they truly lived. And it's, it's compelling and it's heartbreaking. And it, it just gives you a broader perspective on what captive elephants and all captive uh, animals go through. It's not, it's not their life to be lived. That's correct. Um, of course, we gather information all year long on the deaths of elephants in the zoos and the circuses, in sanctuaries, in the elephant camps, the temples, all of those that I mentioned earlier. And each elephant has a biography that's written um, by us. We gather all the information that we can about that elephant. And starting usually around the beginning of October of each year, we start to compile the lists to create a booklet that's available to people if they want it. All they'd have to do is email us at vigil for the number four elephants at gmail.com. And we'd be glad to send out a, the commemorative booklet that we do every year. We've had them since like I said, 2019 um, of all the elephants that have died and who they are, um, what they dealt with in their lives, um, how they died if we knew, knew that. Um, their, their siblings, their children, um, everything like you would see in a normal obituary because, wow. you know, elephants are very similar to people. They're sentient beings, as Sandra said. They are um, very family-oriented. They, they are head, headed by a matriarch, a mother um, who has much wisdom and has is, is gathered much wisdom in her life. Uh, they live in very strong matriarchal societies with all the children and the aunts and the cousins, um, the daughters and the grandmothers. Uh, it's a very strong, strong society. And it's a much better society than probably even human society in my, my point of view. They, they deal with themselves um, as individuals. They deal with themselves as a herd. They take care of each other. They grieve each other. Um, they, they are truly magnificent beings, and they should be commemorated every year as we do. Um, at some point, usually starting in November, which we did year, this year, we provide, like you said, the picture and the biography of a deceased elephant daily on Facebook and Instagram, and it culminates in our online vigil in January. The vigil this year will be held on January 14th at 1 p.m., Eastern Standard Time, and we hope that everybody will tune in. We will be putting out information about that in the next few days, so we hope people are watching. Our Facebook group, again, Vigil for the number four, Elephants, um, is on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for that, Barbara. Where do, where are these elephants that are caught in the wild, where are they being taken from generally? And who is able to get the rights to take these elephants from the wild? Sandra? Well, well um, that's a good question. Uh, CITES has recently put restrictions 
theoretically, on moving wild elephants outside of their natal or birth ranges where they would normally occur in the wild. That happened three years ago, four years ago now. Uh, It's been extended for another couple of years. There are range countries like Zimbabwe who kind of flouted or skirted these restrictions on trade of live elephants um, by saying they already had an agreement with China's, the elephants that were gathered, stolen from their families and sent um, some to China, some went to Dubai. Is that Barbara, if you remember, I believe that's the other place they went was Dubai. And in uh, Asia, Thailand, Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka is a particularly bad place for elephants um, right now. Um, India, they will take them from, they'll grab them out of the wild from wild families and take them for tourism, for logging, for um, whatever purpose they want. I don't know that there's much regulation wise in those um, native range countries to prevent it. Now taking them outside of their native ranges where CITES comes in and is restricted, uh, theoretically, um, we hope it will become an ironclad thing. There are some countries, South Africa, Zimbabwe, is it Namibia? Maybe is another country, um, definitely South Africa, definitely uh, Zimbabwe have been um, petitioning CITES to reopen live trade so that the zoos and the AZA zoos from the United States are actively lobbying to allow them to capture more wild elephants and import them to the United States. They are trying to get the ban lifted. So our own zoos here right now in the United States are trying to um, change the existing regulations to allow them to import more wild elephants again. Um, Because elephants are uh, not doing well in captivity and they are losing through attrition. Many zoos have had to uh, give up their elephant exhibits or have lost their elephant exhibits through attrition because they're, they die young, they're not living to their full age expectancy, their breeding programs aren't being successful uh, because elephants just don't do well in captivity. They just don't survive. Um, and the zoos know this, even though they um, try to infer that their breeding programs are about conservation. Their breeding programs have absolutely nothing to do with conservation of, of elephant species in the wild. It has nothing to do with the population, the wild, the survival of the wild population. If anything, they're taking elephants in captivity have proven how important protecting the wild habitat and the wild populations are. Because you will, we will not have elephants if captivity is the only place they're going to be. Because they just don't survive there. And so, um, plus they've taken those individuals out of the gene pool to be reproducing in the wild. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that's where um, the the main sources of elephants would be India and Asia, but they cannot import them. For example, right now to the United States, they cannot import them to the United States unless they can prove some sort of a, a conservation benefit to doing so. And the whole purpose of CITES putting in the ban is that 
the state, they made statements that they felt like the captive uh, holding elephants in captivity has proven to have no conservation benefit for the species. And that's why they put the ban in place to begin with. Right. So I think that answers your question. It totally answers my question. Um, it's like putting a square peg in a round hole. You're, I mean, we understand that they are not, they do not do well in captivity, but yet what is the instrumental reason that they would want these elephants here in captivity is, is it's a tourist attraction. It's, it's just exactly it's animal-based tourism yeah. and, and entertainment. It's, it's a theme park with animals basically. Right. Uh, and they also like to claim that, oh, well, that's the only way we educate people about elephants. And that's nonsense, as is often brought up. Ask your kids about dinosaurs. They've never met a dinosaur, but I bet you they can tell you all about them. Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. Yeah. So it's not necessary to subjugate an animal to teach your children about it. And also, what are you really teaching your children? Um, that you can force this large animal into a small space. Plus what you're seeing is such a shadow of the full expression of the species. It's not what you mainly see as an elephant standing around. They'll be standing in this corner of their paddock or standing in that corner of their paddock waiting for a food drop and just standing. That's not how elephants live their lives in the wild. Not even close to that. They're in constant motion. They're interacting with each other, touching each other, talking to each other, interacting with the world around them, making decisions constantly where to go. You know, where are we going to go next? Um, and it's done like as a family group. So there it's just, it's a sensory deprivation. It's a physical oh. deprivation all combined in one. I mean, they have, well, as, as Courtney said before, the science is catching up to what we know captivity does to elephants, what we've always known. We see it in the stereotypic behaviors, the rocking and swaying they do routinely. We've known this is doing damage. We've known these elephants aren't faring well, but now the science is catching up. We now have documentation of the brain damage done to elephants in captivity, elephants and other large mammals. It makes sense. It's like if you put any of us in a box and deprive us of stimulation, of normal mental interaction, stimulation, ability to communicate, we're going to have effects. But it's more than that. It's heart disease. It's uh, infertility issues. It's chronic colic. It's osteoarthritis. It's, we, we now have this litany of documented impacts of captivity on elephants that shorten their lives and certainly cause tremendous suffering during their lives. So there's, there's a long list of reasons why we should be stopping holding elephants in captivity outside of, you know, they should all be getting to go to ideally sanctuaries or places where at the very least, if they have to remain in captivity and those held captive likely do have to remain in captivity because they will not have the skills to survive in the wild, they would be in a place like uh, uh, one of the Global Federation uh, for Sanctuaries true sanctuary where they can live with autonomy. They can live with lots of acres of space and a natural habitat where they can express their natural behaviors, uh, feed at, a, at will as they want off the natural vegetation, mud, swim, uh, interact with each other, have all of their natural expressed behaviors 
except breeding, which they do not allow for good reason. Right, right. And it's, it's unfortunate that we had, we have to allow science to catch up to something that we already intuitively know is not, is not justified to put a wild animal in captivity. It's like holding me in my bathroom for my whole life and just sliding food under the door. That's right. I just want to mention one thing that, that you mentioned that there's actually a quote from a former elephant keeper who says, holding elephants in a small three acre exhibit, for instance, is like a whole family living in their bathroom for their whole life. Oh, that's it. Yeah. And also I'll just give you one more statistic from uh, a recent study by Dr. Keith Lindsay. And that is a two, a one hectare exhibit, which is 2.47 acres. It takes an elephant one minute to walk across that. Wow. So just think about how bored they must be. Oh, my word. I mean, you would want to do more for your dog. Yeah. Than what they do for elephants. Right. And, yet and we ele- elephant can, can, elephants can walk hundreds of miles in a day. Right. And they often do, you know, to reach water sources and other food sources that the matriarch may know about. They're always in motion, as Sandra said. They're always doing something. They're very rarely just standing in one place. And if they are, they're grazing and they're eating or they're watching right. over other members of the herd. Right. So elephants need that independence. And what they do in the zoo is they just go from one feeder to the next. I, if you guys have right. seen this in your zoos. Is, and the Oregon Zoo, for instance, deliberately underfeeds the elephants. So a lot of times the feeders are empty. So they go to the feeder and they, they're frustrated. I've seen them actually banging banging against the feeders over and what's over. the point well they said they're what they said was is to keep them out of trouble well i don't know what that they think means. it's enrichment right well so they, 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 under, enrichment. they underfeed them though so yeah. Oh, yeah they're underfeeding them and they said it's because it keeps them out of trouble and i don't know exactly what they meant by that but i do know that one of the concerns for zoo elephants is obesity so I guess that's their way of controlling their weight gain. Well, they're obese because they can't move. Right. right. That's, right. <laughs> that's right. Which leads to other issues like osteoarthritis and a foot disease and everything else. I mean, yeah, but, obviously they need to have more of an autonomous, independent life. But not eating continuously throughout the day leads to other problems like ulcers and colic and other um, digestive related problems that can also be life threatening. So it's, 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 it's just unfathomable that they, the zoos put out, Oh, we're going to put their hay in a a barrel and lift it in the air. And that's considered enrichment for an elephant. How exciting is that? Like once you've done that once, okay, the novelness of it is gone. It's not anything new. And like Courtney said, then it's just, you just go from feeder to feeder to feeder because you want to be eating. Well, you need a distraction from the life that you're living in this cycle. And and they should naturally, their stomach juices, their gastric juices are going to be flowing, whether they're able to put food in there to help break it up or not. And when that happens, that's how they get ulcers. So that like, there's nothing to do, nowhere to go. 
and that's their life. No, thank you. That's okay. Do you have any particular story you can share with listeners about an elephant taken from the wild and where they ended up? I, I could tell you one, and I'm sure the others have stories too. Just in our zoo, we have an elephant from uh, Malaysia. Oh, wow. uh, she's a pygmy Borneo elephant. So she's the only one of her, it's a, she's a subspecies of Asian elephants. So she's basically the only one of her kind in North America. And um, she's been bullied. She's still being bullied, actually, I found out. So she really has some of the worst stereotypical behavior. And they sent her here on a breeding loan, which is another um, catastrophe because she's so much smaller than the larger Asian bull elephants. Right. That it's causing her more hardship physically and mentally. Her last attempt, she miscarried. So she probably won't be able to get pregnant again, but they keep trying anyway. Oh, that's how desperate, that's how desperate they are. Well, and the last time she was pregnant, she also had TB. Yes. Yes. The Oregon zoo has five cases of TB and three of those TB elephants are now dead. Oh, so didn't they, did they, I can't remember if they treated her or they withheld treatment of her. I, I believe they did treat her for the TB. Yes. And who knows what that contributed to her miscarriage? It's hard to say, you know, what, what contributed to that, but um, it's just, it's not successful there. There's just no, no successful breeding. They've had two babies in the last, I think, 10 years. And one of them died from herpes, of course, at six years old. So, you know, it's continuing tragedy. Chandra will break your heart watching her stereotype walks in circles, just poor thing. And TB is not common in elephants in the wild, correct? Uh, You know, I honestly don't know all of the details about TB. I do know, I think what we could conclude is that a lot of diseases that you may see in the wild are not fatal. First of all, TB itself is is not often fatal. It's because of the other conditions that they live in that yes. contribute to their fatality. TB is is horrible for them because mainly because, from what I know, they've given them these drugs that for Asian elephants are actually very toxic. I saw Packy lose a lot of weight and be haggard and very very ill after starting the TB treatment. So. From what I understand, from what Ed Stewart has said, it's actually better if they just let them older elephants just live with the TB. Okay. Well, it, it's kind of like in humans. There's a latent TB. Like people can have TB and it's not active and an active infection. Uh, and some elephants in the wild are known to carry African elephants are known to have TB. And like if you would test for it, you could pick it up, but it's not an active infection. The problem a lot like it seems like EEHV is in captivity, they're just already so compromised with so many other things going on and the added stress of captivity causes it to become a more active aggressive infection that becomes a life-threatening situation for them um, or a life-ending situation for them. 
And so that's that's the problem. We had it, you know, it got into the captive populations in North America. I think circuses contributed a lot to that with all the traveling or the traveling circus elephants, and then having some of those um, end up in uh, other captive situations. And it was transferred from people to elephants. That's how they got it in captivity. Um, and it can be shared both ways. So it's uh, some, a lot of the diseases we're seeing, it, it may occur in the wild or it may occur in a low frequency in the wild, but it is much more prevalent and much more devastating to them biologically and physically in captivity. Right. And I, I, as I was reading the biographies this year, a lot of young elephants died from the herpes virus. And obviously it's, you know, more common in captive elephants than it is in the wild. Well, I don't even know if they are actually finding it in the wild. I don't That's know what I was going to scientific say. data on that. Because EEHV, which is the endotheliotropic herpes virus, is deadly for young young elephants, mostly because their immune systems have not developed enough to fight off the infection once they get it, and it will kill them. So again, it's part of being that captive elephant, part of being um, under the ravages of captivity, of not being able to live a normal kind of life like they would in the wild that brings on or exasperates this kind of infection. And it's the same with TB. You may find EEHV, you may find TB in the wild, but that doesn't mean that it's a active infection. It's going to be more latent, as Sandra said, because they are, are able to live a normal life, move in a normal way, eat in a normal way, um, be with other elephants and have that companionship, which is so important to them. So the, the viruses are very, very um, devastating. As you read through those biographies this year, we had several babies die of yeah. EEHV. Um, it, it, it's devastating to, to read um, about a young life being taken because zoos are so much into profit. I mean, right. and that's really all they're thinking about. And forced breeding, you know, how oh, unnatural could that breeding. be in captivity? Well, breeding is not conservation. I can tell you that. Right. You know, and, um, breeding is is just for profit only because there is no there's no conservation if you're not going to be sending the elephants back to the wild. What is the purpose of conservation if not making the wild a better place for the animals? That's conservation in my mind. Right. But if you're not doing that and you're only breeding artificially or any other way in a zoo and you're keeping those babies in that zoo, then the whole purpose is profit. That's it. There, there is no other point. No. This year, probably the one elephant, and I heard of, learned of her two years ago, that was the most hard for me to deal with, was Omisha. Oh. Uh, she was uh, bred at four years old. Huh. Uh, had her baby at six years old. Now, a four-year-old elephant would not be physically uh, matured enough. So how they accomplish this, I don't know. And why uh, would you force a four-year-old? Right. E either way, it's it, it, it could not have been, I, I cannot imagine that they would, it had to have been artificial insemination, I would think. There is no information that the zoo has brought forward. 
but she wouldn't have been emotionally prepared to be a mother either. She wouldn't have had the opportunity to grow up with uh, her siblings and watch her nannies and take care of them as they do in elephant. That's how they learn how to be a mother is helping take care of their brothers and sisters and, and having nannies and watching it happen, you know, with those in their family. So, you know, first two years ago, we heard about her newborn baby when she was six years old, um, killed by the other elephants as soon as it was born. Uh, and of course, at that time, the thought was, oh, that must be a mistake. There's no way she could be six and have given birth because that means they, no, it was not a mistake because she was captive born at that zoo. They knew exactly how old she was. Um, and then you have this year, she, uh, she lost her life. She lost a sibling. Mm -hmm. um, to EEHV, and then also another elephant at the facility died of EEHV. And to me, the insult to injury and the whole situation was to hear the zoo lament that they were helpless to do anything about EEHV when they are the only ones who can stop breeding elephants to die from this disease. The only ones truly helpless are the elephants who have exactly. no choice. Right. So that hurt. It just, it, it is beyond horrifying. She was a baby. She would just have been, have stopped nursing. Still a baby. They nursed till they're three. She was it's four awful. when awful. she was bred. So tiny and compared to an adult bull out there, there's just no, but um, so that we're hoping like, that people come away with this understanding a little bit better that a lot of what they're hearing in the press releases from zoos is not, it's a nice story, but it may not be the truth of everything that's going on. And certainly the conservation aspect is not true. This is not a, they are not contributing to conservation of species by breeding these elephants over and over again. And one of the, the case in point, the same zoo that lamented were helpless against this disease. Uh, Ruani, which was the last one of their babies that died this year, his mother is already pregnant and expected to give birth this coming year, 2023. So they've learned nothing. And when you look, even at the, I looked, went back and looked at the parent, the parent history of both the elephants. And in Ruani's case, his father had had 15 babies, only two are still alive. So this is not working. And I don't understand why zoos don't come to the reality, face the reality. It's not successful. What you're doing is not successful. Why do you not see what is plainly there? These elephants are not meant to live in captivity. They're not meant to be bred in captivity. They don't want this for themselves, obviously. And they're physically not able to do it. There's a reason why they have high levels of infertility. It's the conditions of captivity. The writing is on the wall. Right. Why the doors are not closed is beyond me because it, you have to have this, there, there's apathy, you lack of compassion and empathy for another being of forcing them to live this tortured life and breeding these elephants at such a young age and seeing that two of 15 babies are going to survive. I, I don't know what 
what else can, I mean, do you need something to be dropped on your head to realize that this is wrong and torturous? (laughs) I just want to say part of it too comes from the AZA, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. They're kind of an industry, uh, I don't know what the right term for it is, but the, uh, the zoos belong to the AZA. And so they take their direction about breeding. And one of the things I'm thinking about as we're talking is how the AZA and the zoos have a certain language and using language over and over changes your mind. Mm -hmm. And they say things like their program is called the species protection plan, the SSP. And if you keep saying that you're thinking and getting the zookeepers to think we're protecting the species. So on and on, they have a a whole language um, that formulates the public's thinking around zoos and around conservation and around, you know, the fact that they get three meals a day. I mean, things like that. They're, They're just repeated over and over. So that's, I think, part of the reason. And the AZA has a lot of control and they're, for the most part, hidden from public view. And I, part of the goal I, I see is to bring them out in the open and expose them. Well, there's no accountability with the AZA. They can lay out all the rules and regulations right. they want, but there's no accountability and there's no enforcement of those rules and regulations. So right. the zoos are really left to pretty much do what they want. The right. accountability part is very, very serious for their, their situation. Same with the USDA when they're trying to regulate circuses. Circuses are not regulated well. They're not seen as something important to the USDA. They don't see elephants as an important species. They don't care, really. USDA is all about agriculture and keeping cows on the the plains. And you know (laughs) Um, what? The USDA regulates zoos, too. Yes, they do. I was just going to ask, is there a larger entity that oversees the AZA? Just yeah, the USDA, really, no. only yeah. the only one I know of that regulates zoos. Yeah, but, but they are not over the AZA. The AZA no. is an independent organization. Right. For the zoos to just belong to, theoretically, okay. it gives them it gives them credibility by saying, "Oh, we belong to this bigger organization that right. sets rules." But the rules are malleable. Zoos can petition the AZA and say, oh, yeah, we're not going to meet this, you know, like the three elephant minimum. We're, we lost an elephant, so we're only going to have two. Could we still be okay? Um, for example, uh, I think it's an elephant in Hawaii, a zoo in Hawaii, they're down to one elephant. And instead of insisting that she go to sanctuary to live out her life, They've allowed the zoo to keep her uh, now as a solitary held elephant for the rest of her life. So, and that is in violation of an AZA requirement that they have at least three elephants of the same species at uh, an AZA accredited facility. So it's this uh, flexibility um, of the regulations that kind of it makes me roll my eyes a little bit when I hear about ACA regulations. It's like, okay, uh, uh-huh. but in there, that's not they, regulated. <laughs> they're basically, it is an, it's an entertainment industry yeah. that is, um, 
a coordinated entertainment industry. And I had a thought, no, I'm trying to come back to it. Um, something Courtney said had got me going down a line of thought about it is the specialized language they use over and over again, also with the public about how um, their, the brain program is there intended to support the species and, and recover species and how important their conservation work is. Um, and how much, and they'll even talk about how much they donate to wild conservation. Well, when you look at the actual numbers, it is minuscule compared to the amount of money they're bringing in mm -hmm. for their facility. And when they also will talk about oh, all the education, but the studies that have been done on uh, pre and post visit, what did people learn at these exhibits? It's almost non-existent. There's very little new information they're given. And often the information they themselves are putting out is not accurate, con consistent with the science. For example, they will try to explain away stereotypic behavior, which they know is abnormal behavior by definition and does not occur in wild elephants at all um, as saying, oh, they're just anticipating being fed or they're just excited about something happening instead of no, that's neurotic behavior. That is an animal that is distressed, uncomfortable, and has nothing to do. So that's, it escapes in its own mind. That's all it can do. Um, and so right. they help perpetuate these false images to the public. And then also we often will hear from the public, oh yes, but in the wild, they have to deal with predators. They have to deal with poaching. They have to deal with all these other problems. True. They do, and yet they fare better in the wild on average. They live longer lives in the wild. And the, what these people making these arguments don't take into account is that elephants in captivity face worse threats, just different threats. They're not, they may not be poachers, but they have all these other equally deadly threats. Yes. Painful, long-term suffering related living experiences that's Physical, not mental, better... emotional i mean it's right. all there in their life, daily life unfortunately mm -hmm. a lot of people get caught up in the personal connection of i want to go see this animal and that takes that puts the onus it puts the perspective from themselves instead of okay that's yes you get that enjoyment but at what cost to the animal that you're looking at. And at any zoo, every zoo you go to, you will see animals pacing. Right. You will see ruts, tracks, where they have walked this path hundreds, thousands of times, round and round. Um, and the whole experience of the, the holding cells that the animals are put in, they're landscaped for the public's perspective. So it looks green, but if you look real close, you'll notice electric wires around the trees. So the elephants can't touch them, can't get to them. The, it, you'll see, oh, look, yeah, it's so green. But when you look real close, it's kind of a trick of landscaping often to make it look more lush, look more accessible. But the animals either don't have access to it. It's incredibly small compared to what they should have anyway. Um, and that's how it stays a tree and then L or they're right. concrete yeah. <laughs> or they're concrete, um, which is the ones that always kill me. They put the concrete trees in there. And that's, <laughs> that's so awful. It's so awful because in the wild, the elephant would love to take down that tree. Yeah. 
and eat its bark. And, you know, it's just fresh browse, anything other yeah. than that. Yeah. You know, put me, put me in a holding cell and I mean, and have people come stare at me. Would I want that? I mean, if you were looking from that being's perspective, would I want to be stared at all day where no, with no place to roam or hide or just have time to myself to get away and be with my family or, you know, it's just, it, it, it's all programming, you know, like these zoos are you're believing that it's for conservation and people are going there to see these animals because maybe they'll never get to see them in their lifetime, but you know, they're, they're not living the life that they were meant to live. They're just in, like I said, in servitude to humans. Well, and there are so many opportunities now there are live cameras set up uh, multiple places in Africa. If you want to True. watch the water holes, that you can sit and watch the wild elephants come in uh, and interact with each other and interact with other wildlife that's there. There's so many opportunities available to people to experience wild elephants, even if they can't physically be in the same space with them. But you will see, you'll so much better get a sense of what they are, of what their life is. Um, and it's the difficulty. I mean, we're having to overcome over a hundred years of public press release programming and shows on Animal Planet about life at the zoo and this um, prescribed, set up, manufactured, carefully crafted message that is being packaged and sold to the public. And it has been done that way for a long time. I think back to shows I watched as a kid and loved, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, and yes. now looking back, I understand how much of that was set up. These were staged interactions. This was harassment of wildlife I was watching. Didn't, didn't understand at the time, but now we do. Right. We should be able to have moved beyond that and have a, a better sense of what we're seeing and what we're being told and how these two things don't connect. Um, how, I mean, they're telling us one thing, but what I'm seeing is not what they're saying. So how this is not adding up. So a right. lot of it, like everything else, we have to be good consumers. We need to be ethically responsible in decisions we make about where we spend our money. Um, what kind of tourists we do, what kind of entertainment we seek um, and, and what the cost of that is. I mean, just, all it should take is anybody ever seeing pictures or video of an elephant being crushed um, to be prepared to be a riding elephant. Right. To never, ever, ever um, be willing to be a part of anything like that, to, to contribute to that. I don't, you just, it's so horrible. It what is. And as humans, we should and can do better than what we're doing right now. Well, and the whole idea is to get elephants to sanctuary, those that are in captivity in zoos, if you can get them to a true sanctuary like the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee, the Paws sanctuary in California, uh, there's a global sanctuary for elephants in Brazil, it's doing marvelous work. Yes. Um, we, we really need to have more sanctuary space and more um, opportunities for captive elephants to go to. And once they get there, um, their life becomes a miracle. I mean, we just had 
a recent story in, in Brazil of uh, Pocha and Guijamina, a mother and daughter um, elephant, Asian elephants that had been living in a zoo, actually living underground in concrete for all of their lives. I mean, Guijamina was born there and she was 22 years old, I believe, when they finally got her out and they sent them to the sanctuary. It was it was most the most beautiful thing to see them come out and become the elephants they really are, and to you know to languish in that beautiful lush greenery that that is surrounds them there, um, to to be able to move about the way they want to rather than somebody professing the way they should move. Um, it it just it was a miracle. Um, one of the elephants that died in 2022, unfortunately, was Pocha. She didn't have a whole lot of time in sanctuary, but we were so grateful that she was able to get there and to watch her young daughter actually make friends with the other elephants at the sanctuary who have accepted her beautifully and to become the elephant that she was always meant to be. I'll, I'll always feel that Pocha uh, knew that it was okay to go because Gijamina was going to be okay. I, I thought was, that too. Yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful story. And I want to see more beautiful stories like that. We have three elephants, three African elephants moving from the Knoxville Zoo in Tennessee to the Elephant Sanctuary in this year, in 2023. Oh, really? Yes, two of them are females. One is a bull elephant. The two females will be introduced to the famous Nosy, the elephant who was moved in 2017, confiscated from her circus family. Um, of course, I was very involved in that, and I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that she is finally able to be um, out of that debilitating pain and suffering from physical and emotional abuse that she suffered in the 30 years that she was with that circus. Um, she's doing beautifully, and she's now going to have some African friends who will be able to speak the same language, at least, and um, hopefully they'll be, they'll be good herdmates for her. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. That warms my heart. And how were those elephants released and able to get to sanctuary? How were they released? Those three. Those from... three? Well, the Knoxville Zoo decided to close down their elephant exhibit for the time being. Mm -hmm. um, we're hoping that they'll keep that the same, that they won't reopen it at any time in the future. They decided that it was the best place for them, um, and they're very smart people at that zoo to understand that those elephants needed sanctuary. So we're hoping that other zoos will follow in their path. The more zoos that do it and are able to do it successfully and see benefits that the elephants provide are provided in sanctuary, that there'll be more zoos along the way that will continue the practice. Beautiful, beautiful. How um, can people get more involved with um, being a voice for captive elephants as well as becoming part of the vigil for elephants? Well, we're all on social media. Um, Courtney's, like I said, with the Oregon um, Free, Free the Elephants, Free the Oregon Zoo Elephants. Um, Sandra's with the Elephant Advocacy Project. I'm with Save Nosy now. We're all on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, um, we're all over social media. They can always reach out to us. And we have um, websites as well under those names. And um, I think probably another good way for them to reach out with the Vigil for Elephants is to follow the Vigil for Elephants, again, on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. 
and become involved every every year with our online vigils because we we do commemorate all the elephants that have lost. They can hear about them throughout the year. And then as we go get toward the actual live vigil in early January, um, we really make a point of um, really expounding on the whole idea of captivity and how awful it is for elephants. And the, the more education there is, the better. Education is always the key to everything. It's the way I've always seen it. So we need to educate the public. Um, they can reach out, like I said earlier, to get the booklet about all the elephants that we've we've been able to commemorate every year to vigilforelephants at gmail.com if they want to have that. We need to get um, more education about the ways elephants die in the human entertainment industry. And this is one way, one big way that we can do it. And it's a it's a, an amazing, an amazing effort on your part, all three of you and everybody else that's involved in speaking up for the these elephants that do not have a voice, do not have a life. Um, and I'm I'm so happy that I could um, read these stories and know that there are so many people that care for them and are everybody's doing their best to end this captivity. It's mm-hmm. not necessary. We're yes, all meant exactly. to be free. Exactly. Well, we're just, I mean, three organizations. The other two founding organizations for the Vigil for Elephants are the Elephant Guardians of Los Angeles, who I mentioned earlier, which is where it originally started at the LA Zoo, and Lucy's Edmonton Advocates Project. Lucy is an elephant in, in the Edmonton Valley Zoo who has been there for over 40 years. Um, she's lives lived alone for most of that time. And she needs sanctuary. And we've, we've been fighting and help trying to help this group leap Lucy's Edmonton Advo- Advocates Project um, for many years now to get her out of that zoo and into sanctuary. There are all kinds of other organizations throughout the, the world who are our co-hosts this year. We have 34 co-hosts from all over the place, um, India, Africa, um, all over Asia, like I said, uh, the United States, of course. And we're hoping to commemorate every year um, using those co-hosts to gather, help us gather the information as well as expound on each elephant as we as we find them. Beautiful, beautiful work. And the, the vigil is January 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern time, correct? That's correct. Okay. And they can find all the information about the uh, how to how to get online to watch the vigil. It's a live vigil. Um, in just a few days, we'll be putting out information about it. Beautiful. Thank you, Barbara, Courtney, and Sandra, for all of effort and work that you put forth for being a voice for captive elephants. I appreciate it. Thanks for having it. us, Nicole. Oh. We appreciate yes. you having us on. Thank you.